This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can, How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly, written and narrated by Becky Kaiser and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum, and this is episode four of a five-part series where I sit down with guests to discuss topics like mishandling power in the church, spiritual abuse, image management, and Christian celebrity culture. While each episode can be listened to independently, listening to all five episodes will provide a broader understanding of how these wounds occur in what should be safe spaces. Today's guest, Dr. Diane Langberg, is an internationally recognized psychologist and counselor with over 50 years of clinical experience. She has worked with trauma and abuse victims throughout her career. In my opinion, her book, Redeeming Power, Understanding Authority and Abuse in the Church, is the handbook on said issue and should be mandatory reading in all seminaries. Today, we discuss how her 50-year career working with trauma and abuse victims began, the similarities she encountered between veterans of war and abused women, the current reckoning of power abuse in the church and pastors as shepherds. It's a hard yet tender conversation that is vital for the body of Christ to hear and respond. After listening to today's episode, if you would like to explore other podcast episodes, books, or video teachings addressing spiritual abuse and trauma, go to graceenoughpodcast.com slash spiritual hurt. I have compiled a list of free resources, including this five-part series. Good afternoon, Dr. Diane Langberg. Thank you so much for sitting down with me today. You're welcome. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, let's not waste too much time because there's so many things I want to talk about. But I kick off my show uh, asking my guests, how did you come to know Jesus? When did you begin walking with him? Just to kind of set the stage for us a little bit. Um, I'm an Air Force kid. My father was out of town. I don't remember what we read. <clears throat> my mother read a devotional thing with me and my brother. Uh, I was 11 and I went to bed and couldn't sleep. Mm. Now I know that it was the pursuit of God. But anyway, I got up and came to her crying and knelt by her lap and uh, received him. Oh, so she led you in a prayer. She did. Were you a part of a church community regularly? Because I know with the Air Force, you know, you are moving around so much. Uh, at that particular place, we were going to the base chapel. And that was usually, I think, in retrospect, decided by my parents, depending on who the chaplain was. I mean, makes complete sense, right? Like, right. That, that's kind of what we do. And it depends on what your options are when it comes to being a part of a church family, which we're going to talk a little bit about today. Um, you have been 
50 years of experience when it comes to counseling people, psychology, all of those things. And so for those people who don't know anything about your story, will you take us back? Tell us a little bit about what it was like when you first came out of school, some things that you were hearing, and then what you ended up choosing to do when there was a woman who had said to you, my dad did some weird things to me, and I don't think that it was right. I graduated from college in 1970, came to Philadelphia to get a master's degree in psychology and began periodically seeing women. Uh, I worked part-time in a Christian counseling center and saw women not because I knew anything, but because I was female, which was very Mm -hmm. rare. Went on to enter my doctorate degree and I was the only female in the class. So we were rare birds at that time. Mm -hmm. And somewhere in that first two years, a, a young college girl came to see me for whatever reason, probably anxiety or depression is what often starts things. But at some point, she had very long hair, went down to her waist. And at some point in the session, she took her hair and threw it over her face. Hmm. So I couldn't see her. And she said, uh, my father used to do weird things to me. I had no idea what she meant. I didn't know anything about abuse. It wasn't taught about in graduate school. It wasn't anything. And the other thing that happened was that I also began seeing Vietnam vets. I'm an Air Force brat. I care about soldiers. Mm -hmm. And over time, heard things from other women and realized that the vets and the women all had the same symptoms Mm. and couldn't figure that out. But I just started to listen. And they were my teachers. Um, So the woman I just spoke about was in 1972. Post-traumatic stress disorder was not even a diagnostic category till 1980. Mm. So what I realized was that the soldiers and the women had the same symptoms. Yeah. And so I figured there's more than one kind of war zone in the world. Mm. Indeed, there is. Yeah, well, and that was really kind of revolutionary thinking for you because you did have this supervisor who said something to you that I just find very eye-opening. Maybe that's because I, you know, was bored in 1979. So, um, I didn't, I mean, it's hard to even imagine because I know the talk of abuse, trauma, PTSD, we've made great strides in those areas in the last few years, and we have a lot farther to go. But what did he say to you? In his defense, he was in many ways an excellent clinician, and I learned mm-hmm. much from him. But he was a man of his time, and he, he was also a Christian. And so I went to him with some of the stories that I was hearing, and he said, uh, which is a very Freudian perspective, actually, mm-hmm. that's where it came from. But what he said was, women sometimes tell these hysterical stories and your job is not to get hooked by them, because if you do, you will contribute to their pathology. Wow. So I quit listening to him and went back to the women and said, I don't know what this is. I don't know anything about it. You'll have to be my teacher before I can figure out how to help. Mm, I'm so glad you listened. Me too. I know many others are as well. Well, as you began listening to these trauma and PTSD women, veterans, you began to realize that they were very similar in what they were experiencing. And so as you're realizing that there weren't that many tools available. So what were those first like 10 to 20 years like when you're trying to figure all this out? 
Well, one, they were pretty lonely in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And two, I, I decided to be uh, very upfront with the clients yeah. I was working with. I realized that both the soldiers and the women were being discarded by other people as if there was some weakness in them. Mm. You know, they have these symptoms because there's something wrong with them. Uh, you know, and, was it an so, attitude of like, if you just try harder, this will go away? Yes, and that if you have these symptoms, whether it's after a war, I mean, these were mostly Vietnam vets. Mm-hmm. So if you have those uh, symptoms after this experience, or you have those symptoms from being a child, there's something flawed in you. Mm. There's a weakness, there's a something. I mean, nobody knew what it was either. Mm-hmm. But uh, I went to them and I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I've asked some people and they don't either, but I believe you. And so you, if you want me to try and figure out how to help, will have to tell me what it's like to be you. Mm. And that's how it started. They were my teachers. And then the next five decades, you've learned a lot. And so what are some of the big lessons you feel like you've learned about treating people who have been abused, um, PTSD, thrivers? What are some of those big things that you just think like, wow, I'm so grateful that I have been a part of this journey for the last five decades? Well, part of what I I learned from them is that to talk about such things takes tremendous courage. Mm. And it still does, even Mm. though now people believe Mm -hmm. and listen and have good ways of responding and caring. It takes tremendous courage to say, what happened. And that has to be honored. Mm. I've learned that people go at their own pace. You know, you can work with three victims of sexual abuse and they're all going to go that way in terms of struggling with it and healing and everything in, in a, at a different rate, mm-hmm. different hard places, partly because everybody's unique and partly because the abuse is not a cookie cutter thing. Right. And it depends on who did it and how long it lasted and what they did and everything. And mm. so the same thing is dealing with in dealing with war. Mm. So we, I learned to respect individuality. You know, we want to diagnose something and then we figure out the category and the symptoms. And now this is where you're supposed to fit. Well, human beings don't fit. Mm. <laughs> that is for sure. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. Well, at some point, you ended up uh, speaking internationally, 
traveling a lot to remote communities, just larger cities, all the things. And you really did notice that abuse and trauma looked very similar all around the world, although the individual is different. Talk to us a little bit about what you discovered and, um, you know, how did that add to the way that you were treating patients? I think the first country that I went to was Brazil. I had written a book on counseling survivors of sexual abuse and a Brazilian woman found it and read English and translated it into Portuguese and called me on the phone. That's so awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I went there to two different cities and gave two conferences. The second one was in Hasifi and they, the pastor and his wife there took me in the city and there were all these little girls on the street. Mm. And that's when I first learned about trafficking, um, which wasn't a word. I mean, it's sort of like the same thing with PTSD. There wasn't a word, only there it was. But I, I learned in listening to people, even through translators, that they, they talk about what happened to them in similar ways. Mm-hmm. Not that they say the same things, because everybody's unique, as is their experience. But not only are they courageous, they're full of shame, and they're full of shame that belongs to somebody else. Mm. It's not theirs. And uh, it takes a long time for them to see that and believe it. But I learned it. And so um, I knew that I was looking at people who've been wounded by other people, often in the name of Jesus, mm-hmm. and who carried it all as if it were their fault. Mm. Um, and sitting with somebody who's safe and who believes them and listens to them and honors them as a human being mm-hmm. um, is sometimes the first time that people have had that experience. Mm-hmm. Privileged to give it to them. Yeah. Well, and eventually you did. I mean, pastors became included in your work, uh, church leaders, clergy, all the sorts. What were those experiences like early on? Were you uh, sitting down and listening to pastors who had been wounded or had been the ones doing the wounding? At first, it was been wounded. And mm-hmm. pastors are frequently wounded. Yes. They, they suffer, a lot of them. And uh, in many cases, they suffer. And it's not like they did something wrong. You know, right. we there have high expectations that are ridiculous. We don't uh, understand what it's like to do what they're doing and all that. So I was a safe place and a confidential place mm-hmm. where they could come and, and tell what it was like to be in that position where they could come mm-hmm. and weep and nobody would think that was weak. Mm-hmm. Um, so I worked with pastors and their wives mm-hmm. for a long time and then ended up with a case where the pastor was wounded and abusing. My worlds crashed together, and that was hard. That was hard. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. With all the stuff um, that has come out in recent years, recent months, for that matter, uh, just unhealthy leadership in churches, abuse in churches, um, I know that you speak to that, you write to that, you counsel that. um, And recently, my friend Amy Fritz, who I think that you met at a conference, she's the podcast host of Untangled Faith. Mm-hmm. I'd asked her, I said, you know, what do you think that some of the people who listen to my show would love to hear Diane answer? And one of the things was decades ago, and maybe it hasn't been that long ago, a lot of times if there was some type of sexual encounter in a church setting, 
with one of the leaders, the pastors, it would be referred to as an affair. Uh, what's the danger in referring to it in that way? Uh, and what is the better response that I hope most of us have adopted now, but maybe not? I know you can speak to it a lot better than I could. Well, first of all, when we talk about an affair under any circumstances, we are generally talking about two adults who both have power to make decisions and power in the relationship. One is not over the other, mm. like a boss with a secretary or whatever, teacher with a student. You know, mm -hmm. those are uh, relationships where the, the power is not even. Mm -hmm. So to refer to something as an affair means the power is even. And that's not true for pastors or teachers or coaches or anything else you want to name, uh, doctors. Um, and we have not understood that well, I think. And particularly uh, when, some, when the victim is an adult. But if mm -hmm. you think about a pastor, uh, they get to tell you the truth about God or not. They get to honor you in a church or degrade you in a church. There's all kinds of things they have power to do. Right. They're the shepherd. That's right. Shepherd don't commit adultery with their sheep. <laughs> if they do, <laughs> there's something really, really wrong with the shepherd. Mm. Shepherds tend their sheep. They protect their sheep. There's no space for abuse of any kind, not just sexual, verbal, right. emotional, whatever, between a shepherd and sheep. Yeah. And we, we have forgotten that somehow along the way. I mean, Jesus said, feed my sheep. He didn't say exploit them. Mm. So often we'll hear this, oh, extend them grace, forgive them. It's her fault. It's his fault. I mean, not his as in whoever the pastor is, but um, male victim. That's right. Male victim. Thank you. What do you say to that? <laughs> to myself or in public? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm just going to let you answer. <laughs> First of all, Jesus said something stunning and very clear. What comes out of a person comes from the heart of the person, period. So if you, you're talking about a pastor or a professor or this or that who has a, victimized somebody in terms of uh, sex, mm. what come out, came out of the person who did that came from the person, not from the victim standing in front of them. Mm. So we have excused things that way, and we have minimized the level of deception required to feed on the sheep of the wow. self, of the sheep and of the entire flock. And we think we're saying, okay, well, he said he's sorry, he cried, we forgive him, let's go back to normal. We're actually doing damage to the shepherd as well. Mm. Because there are, you, you don't wake up one morning and start having sex with your sheep. It just doesn't work like that. And so we leave them in that prison. We leave them in those deceptions. That's not love, mm. not love. Well, and I want to point out, like you said earlier, too, it's not just sex, right? I mean, it's other abuses, too. Like a shepherd doesn't do X, Y, and Z to their sheep either. Yes. Shepherds don't beat their sheep. Mm. So, you know, if you're in leadership, you don't beat your spouse. Yeah. 
And I appreciate I'd ask a question similar to this to Mary DeMuth. And I appreciate that she said, yes, people can be forgiven and extended grace, but we don't put them back in power. We don't keep them in their positions. It's poison to them. That's it, it. It is certainly, I think, the wrong thing to do and threatens the sheep and the odds are very high. It will be done again. And there's tons of cases that have been, have been brought to the light with yeah. countless victims. Yeah. But we're not loving them when we do that. Mm. Whew. And I mean, that just takes a lot to process because I think sometimes it can feel like it's rejection, but it's not because it's giving them also the space to actually receive and seek the healing that will take years and years that they need. Yes, they think they're all better. And we've left them with rot in their souls. Oh, it's so heavy. Yes, it is. It should be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell me, with all that has happened recently, do you feel like the current, do you feel like this current church abuse is a trend? The we're hopping on the me too, we're hopping on the church too movement. Um, do you think it's going to fade? And then what speak, speak to that first. There's so many things swirling around in my head. Like, do you feel like this is a trend that's going to fade? Absolutely not. I mean, first of all, just the general statistics one in four females, one in six males are mm. sexually abused before they're 18. So they're sitting in the pews. And so they got abused somewhere, and it's not always at the church. Sometimes mm-hmm. that's a safe place. But those are the statistics that we know. Right. The other thing we know is that male victims are just really beginning to come forward. So we really don't know the numbers. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so I think it's it's not a trend. It's an expose. Short mm-hmm. story. One of my grandmothers was from West Virginia and she had a little house up in the hills and it was wonderful and I loved to go there. And one day when I was quite small, she asked me to go check on the laundry, which was in a room that had a dirt floor. And I was a little afraid of that room and I couldn't find the light switch. So I came running out from the laundry and said to to my grandmother, I can't go in there, it's dark. And she took me back and she showed me where the light switch was and she turned on the lights and she said, honey, it's safe now because when you turn on the light, the rats run. I had no idea that I had just been taught a parable. Mm. Part of what me too and lots of other things have done is turn the light on Mm. and now we see the rats. The question is, what are we going to do about that? Are we going to cover it up and tell ourselves it's really not there because it's the church? We're going to make it nice. That's out there. It's not in here. Hmm. The light's on. Do you feel hopeful about how things are going? (laughs) And not how things are going with the people who are being exposed, but with the work that you're doing and other people who are also doing that work. Do you feel hopeful? Well, it depends on what you mean. I mean, what am I hoping in? Well, I think sexual abuse is going to quit. No, no. I don't. (laughs) Right, right. Um, hopeful that there's a way forward for churches to be, be healthier and that that's actually going to happen. Well, yes to the first one, for sure. There is a way forward. And I think that the exposure of all of this, especially the stuff in the news by these people that we thought were so wonderful and everything else, I mean, it's God's exposure. Mm. And he's calling us to himself. He's calling us to be 
he's the head. We're supposed to be the body that follows after the head. If a body doesn't follow after a head, there's something wrong with it. Yeah. It has a disease. Mm -hmm. And so he, it's his call calling us. We would be wise to listen. So if we listen, yes, I think there is hope. Not that we'll stop this from ever happening. Welcome to a fallen world. Right. But yes, that we will really begin to understand what's been done and the damage it has done and what it looks like for a church to actually be a safe place, a refuge mm -hmm. for the sheep. I don't know the answer, but I know there's a call in this. And a lot of slow, steady work that has to be done. Yes. What do we do in these he said, she said situations? Because I do personally know someone who was accused of something that um, it was incorrect. And so those do happen. I yes. don't think that's the majority of the time. But in these he said, she said situations, uh, how do we know? How do we discern what is actually happening? What did happen? Well, I'm not sure I have a magic answer for that. I think that we need people from the outside of the system to help us do that. Mm -hmm. Because if we're part of the system where this supposedly happened, we're either going to protect the system mm -hmm. or we're going to make a decision without actual knowledge about how things go and work and whatever. There are lots of ways to get that help, but I think that's very important mm -hmm. that you need eyes and ears that are not part of the system that this supposedly happened in. Mm. And it's healthier for the system in terms of that. You know, you, you could end up with terrible splits and all kinds of things if it's not done well and right. But just as people can abuse other humans, people can lie about being abused. Right. In, broken people can do all kinds of things, and that's what we are. Mm -hmm. So I will say that I think it's extremely rare. I've been this, doing this work for 50 years. I know of two false accusations that walk through my office. Mm. So I think, you know, not that that's a sound statistic or anything, but I think it's a telling one. Right. And we need, we, we want it not to have happened for a million reasons. Yeah. And it makes it very easy for us to cloud what happened. But I do know that somebody can be really vicious mm -hmm. and make something up like that with full intent to hurt the other person. Yeah. That's what I encountered in the two that I ran into. Mm. They felt and sounded different, I have to say. I know that I can clear that up and tell people what that means, but they did. Right. But I know it happens. Mm -hmm. I also know it's very rare. Yeah. And that's the thing, right? I mean, when you get someone from the outside to take a look at it, it removes the people who have a certain affection for this leader. And it, I think it is easier to discern because we are people who tend to admire our shepherds um, yes. and, and rightly so when they're a healthy leader. Um, and so it's really hard to take off the rose colored glasses when something happens, if you are near to the person or if it's just someone that you've sat underneath their care. Well, it also means that you're going to stop feeling safe. Yeah. And we don't like that. No. Okay, so you have sat, I don't think you're on the board anymore of Grace. Is that correct? Yes, I, I was on the early board and was on it for a number of years. So tell me a little bit about Grace, what they do, and really how they're helping to promote 
uh, healthy and safe environments in churches? Well, it's expanded greatly from when we first sat around a table and looked at each other and wondered what was going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's wonderful the way that it's expanded. But, you know, it certainly does investigations in situations. So that's one of them. It does all kinds of training now for churches to help them figure out how to be safe, what that looks like, uh, how to take care of the children in their midst. Mm. You know, there's many layers of education that, that can happen. They do teaching. Um, you know, they have lawyers on the board. They have, you know, nice. it's pretty much every angle. And I have a great deal of respect for the organization and its integrity, but also its knowledge. I think lots of people want to help now, mm. but they actually don't know very much about what they're doing. <laughs> and and Grace has been around a really long time. Not that it's the only one that does know what it's doing, but but I think that education and awareness of the dynamics of abuse and and what it means to a church, what it means to a mission, whatever the organization is, um, and how to keep people safe. You know, mm -hmm. I think it's a rare combination. They have a great website. You can go on their website and look at everything. Yeah. What is their website? Is it just netgrace.org? Netgrace.org. Yes. Okay, perfect. Well, and tell me, do you feel like we're really at a pivotal moment right now when it comes to even the education piece as people are starting to pay more attention to, you know, trauma-informed care, how we deal with that? Like, it feels like to me, we're at this pivotal moment, but again, I am not in the middle or at the center like you are. Well, yes, I, I would agree with that. I, I think that we need to recognize what is happening as a call from God to us. Mm. We, we follow a wounded savior. Mm. We don't want to be around the wounded. Mm. It can be difficult. Their change is slow. They're afraid. We have to hear bad things. It doesn't matter what they're wounded from. You know, again, you go back to the soldiers. But we follow a wounded Savior. And he very clearly told us to pursue and bless the least of these. Hmm. Not the big guys or girls, whatever, you know, who have the power and who are in front and who make us feel good and who teach us things and all that. The least of these. The little, and the little doesn't just mean in size, it means in power. Mm -hmm. So I think we're at a pivotal moment, and primarily I think it's pivotal because I think God is calling us to himself in a way that we have lost in the evangelical world. Mm. I can agree with that for sure. Well, I think you may have just answered this question, but as mm -hmm. we begin to close out here, if there's anything you want to add to this day in and day out as a follower of Christ, you know, on, on a personal level and maybe even on an organizational level, uh, what are some ways that you see that we can move forward as, you know, unified and free in Christ? Well, that's a whole lot bigger than sexual abuse in the church. Mm -hmm. The way Christians are talking to each other today is mm -hmm. breaking the heart of our God. You know, we are being angry and hostile and judging and you know, all of those things mm -hmm. based on things that are man-made. We don't look like him. He's mm. called us to look like him, whether it's a denomination, what, whatever it is. We, we have different ways that we do things and all, which is fine. But we use those differences to harm each other and 
in the way that we treat each other, talk to each other and whatever. He's called us to himself and he's called us to look like him in this world. I'm not sure we're doing that very well. Mm. And we're breaking his heart when we don't. Yeah. Uh, well, Diane, what, uh, last question here, what work are you currently involved in? I mean, you write, you speak internationally. I'm assuming you're still, do you still see clients as well? Not very many. Mostly I do <laughs> consultations. Yes. That's only changed in the last few years, but I'm 73 years old and I can't do everything. <laughs> That's <anymore>. right. <laughs> We all, everybody hopefully retires at some point, at least from having to go into the office, right? Yeah, well, I, I still go into the office and, and the office has, I don't know, 16 or 17 therapists in it who've been trained wow. in trauma, oh, which wow, is now wow. being run by uh, Dr. Phil Monroe, who's been part all of right. the office for over 20 years. So I'm not doing that part either. But more and more churches and organizations are asking for consultation because they come up to a mess and they don't know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm more involved in that. And I'm also involved in teaching uh, uh, around the world, but I'm headed to London and Wales next week. So that should be nice. <laughs> I think it will be. I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully you get a few days where you can enjoy uh, sightsee, relax, not just teach the yes. whole time. My husband has planned a vacation part for us as well. So awesome. I'm looking forward to that. Well, thank you so much um, for the work that you have done and for the fact that you have not decided yet to just hang up your hat and be done. We need you. And I appreciate that you keep pouring out uh, all that you have learned and done throughout the years. Well, thank you very much. It's actually a privilege. Dr. Lingberg's book, Redeeming Power, Understanding Authority and Abuse in the Church, is one of the books linked on the free resource page along with this episode. To access that page, go to graceenoughpodcast.com slash spiritual hurt. Purchasing from those links gives me a small commission at no cost to you. Next week, I close out this five-part series with Wade Mullen. Wade is the author of Something's Not Right, Decoding the Hidden Tactics of Abuse and Freeing Yourself from Its Power. It was Wade's pastoral experience that led to his doctoral research on institutional responses to abuse, that led to his current work and all the ways image management techniques can wound the church. And that's what we discuss. So make sure you're following Grace Enough Podcast on your favorite listening app so we can meet back here next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time. This episode was brought to you in part by the Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.